Hello, hello, guys. It's been such a long time since you've seen the Grassroots Living Soil podcast. My gosh, it's been way too long. Uh, we're firing up season two of the Grassroots Living Soil podcast. I decided to start it out with some of the best people in the cannabis industry. We have Michael Box and Izzy from Sustainable Village. Um, two amazing people. Um, I don't think Izzy needs a last name just because he's just such an in impactful impactful name in the industry and and we have the power of the curls today guys okay yeah. i've just informed about the power of the curls yeah these are two curly haired guys that are ready to just uh break down some amazing information from us uh for us um so we're going to catch up a little bit here and we're going to break down what's the latest with sustainable village and the blue mat system they've been doing a lot with capillary mats bottomless pots um, and they're the kings of reading moisture in your soil and really getting people to understand that you need to know the moisture level of your soil. If you're going to do living soil, like got to make sure that we can provide those nutrients to the plant and it can actually treat the soil like a kitchen. So without further ado, I would like, uh, Michael and Izzy to say hi and let us know how they're doing. What's up guys. How you doing? Hey, hey Tyler. Yeah. Um, really, really glad to be here. Izzy Becker, just for the record. Yeah. <laughs> Isidore, as a matter I, of fact. I yeah. wasn't ready for that yeah. one, and I just fired on it anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, we're doing good. It's been, uh, you know, it's been an interesting year. And we, we we see you out and about sometimes. Um, I guess the last time we really got to hang out in person was uh, at the Soil Life Summit um, yeah. in Grass Valley back in... Uh, uh, February and that was that was pretty awesome time you know. yeah you guys had an amazing presentation I okay. absolutely love the combination of you guys two uh, bringing out the info together yeah Thank you. yeah I mean we've got a real great team going on here um uh besides Izzy uh Cooper Didier he's you know kind of R&D and, and sales design as well and so you know the three of us got to talk a bunch at that uh, um at that presentation and um we did a right afterwards with with peter from the future cannabis project i think we ended up we sat down and did like a real deep dive into some of the newer blue mat stuff we were working on and so that was just that was a great weekend of kind of education and uh networking and just communicating with other people that are in it it's actually a really pretty inspirational for me um, the mark, you know, the industry, the market's been such so wonky and weird for the last year or two. Um, <clears throat> lots of good stuff happening, but it's just different. It's not quite as uh, uh, explosive as it had been in, in in the past. So to see so many people that were successful with living soil doing their thing, and you know, uh, it's, it's good to connect with those people and hear those stories uh, as well. You know, as, as some of the um more uh discouraging ones we hear from time to time uh from folks that are that are having trouble in a really really crowded industry yeah we really got to see the the further reaching tentacles of living soil because at that event uh which now we get to see it in fruition is we had uh matt barnes from easy organics and he got right. his big setup going on out there with grassroots living soil beds and 
like miles of drip tape going on. I looked at looked down that big giant long bed, and I'm just like, wow, look at all that drip tape from Sustainable Village. So, um, yeah. it's great to meet yeah. those people in person and then see their projects come to fruition in in amazing places like um, Australia, Bisbee in Australia, and then we had the European guys there, obviously Eco Thrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Matt Barnes, all those guys, they're uh, they're all friends of ours, and kind of. Um, you know, Matt, we we just designed a bunch. We just designed quite a few. I mean, it's like three or four now. Yeah, and I have Commercial to do another one tomorrow. Another one right now. Yeah. Uh, for Matt with the uh, Easy As Easy As Organics, I think Thank that's you. his. Easy uh-huh. As Organics, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's a great guy too. Real what a what a neat dude. Uh, we enjoyed meeting him, and yeah, there was folks from all over the all over the world there. So. It's great to see living soil exploding other other places around the world like it did for California in the last, uh, you know, prior to the last two years, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for bringing up the Soil Summit, guys. It's been been a little bit too long, and um, we would love to do another one in the future. Uh, we wanted to do one around uh, the time of the MJ BizCon um but it just just not didn't work out and there's too much too much work to be done to make that happen but uh uh, steve cantwell's offered up his place out there in nevada his farm for us to host the event at so if we could uh find a good time to do that it would make things uh, a lot more friendly to the budget and i bet you everybody would love to see steve's farm in person so absolutely yeah i imagine so yeah so let's let's tear into it, guys. What's what's the latest with Sustainable Village? What's the latest innovations you guys have going on over there? I know you were talking about moisture meters and some other interesting. Yeah, co- you know, I mean, one of the things that I was just thinking about, you know, thinking about what, hey, what are we going to talk about today? And I got a handful of things, and um, I'm really excited to have to have Izzy sitting in here too to to fill in some of the like nitty gritty details on a few on a few pieces. But you know, one thing I was thinking about a lot. Um, <laughs> is uh it's just all the design work that's been happening here so we we have uh you know i don't know if, if folks know this but you know when when people come to us for for blue mat systems we do free design work so we we'll design a, a complete irrigation system for no cost with like really nice uh schematics and itemized price lists and everything and that's that's like a free service we do you can just go on the website and request the uh, uh one of those designs um, but, you know, I was just kind of looking through a lot of them that you guys have been doing lately and been super impressed with the, the kind of quality of the schematics that are coming out and, um, how easy they are to use and, and put together. And, um, you know, and, and the way we're, way we're doing them these days, you know, this design is always a constant evolution, um, especially in with with the technology that we work with uh you know using mostly using tensiometers uh to control irrigation events and and hit really targeted moisture levels um sometimes with the blue mat sometimes with other uh you know tensiometer based controls and we are you know just that that's an evolution you know it's a it's a it's right on the kind of forefront of what um, is available out there and we're basically constantly researching new products that might be out there from other countries and um, you know we actually just got off the phone with a, a manufacturer in Israel uh, just now <clears throat> that has some really cool controllers that interface with some other uh, moisture sensors that are manufactured in Australia so we have these uh, you know we're kind of looking all over the place for, for lesser known products um, that work well 
and how do we integrate them into irrigation systems to uh, hit, you know, to, to accomplish our goals. Um, and, you know, so to, to that point, like some of the cool stuff we've been doing is, is hitting extremely targeted moisture levels in soil uh, using um, adjustable pressure reducers um, and in conjunction with blue mats. Yeah. Do you want me to throw them? Yeah, Thanks. go ahead. Take take a take a so show. Yeah. Basically, we've found through a lot of RD the three main things to control a blue mat system is what is the setting on the blue mat, where is the placement of that blue mat? And really this could be um extrapolated to pretty much any sensory-based system, but what's the setting? Where is it placed? And, and with blue mats, it's what's the pressure that is behind it. So uh because the blue mat's like a physical, it's like a gate. You know, if you've got a diaphragm that's going like this, that's what's controlling the water flow. If the pressure is higher, the water will be able to push its way through faster. And if it's lower, then it's slower. So you can adjust the setting on a blue mat without actually having to touch the blue mat. So one thing we've been able to do that I think has helped things become really scalable uh, in a way that they haven't been um, until now just is that you, you know, in the past, you might have to change the setting on every single blue mat if you'd like to change the setting on them. And now you can just change the pressure reducer that's hooked up to the system and you can push it up or you can push it down. And so you can affect the moisture content of your soil throughout your entire facility by just changing a dial. And it's kind of ironic that the pressure reducers have a dial on them, which is almost like a blue mat dial it's just one dial as opposed mm -hmm. to uh, the rest and you have a pressure gauge you can do things like set a blue mat at 10 psi and then you can push the pressure up to 15 psi and push it to be wetter and you can push it down to 5 psi and make it drier and you could do multiple pressure reducers and you can have uh solenoid valves that are in front of each one and you can alternate between so that way you're not having to constantly move a dial but you can set up like a raise and you can throughout the day or throughout the cycle affect the moisture content of what's going without having to actually touch the limits. Right. And all of that really, you know, becomes super effective in a few different growing styles. Right. So um, certainly there is a, there is, there's some application when you're growing in larger like containers, like raised beds or, or really large pots. But for those, when we we're not manipulating the moisture content as much, we're seeing that we're seeing it more in like smaller container grows. Like some people, like, I know we're talking about living soil today, but in the cocoa world of, uh, you know, smaller pots that are using cocoa and, and even in, in synthetic fertilizer mixes, we can run that all through the blue mats. And we can, we can basically, um, you know, begin to kind of steer the 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 growth of the uh, the plants um, by doing really targeted drybacks and and moisture levels. Um, we can do the same thing in what people are using like smaller containers, but still living soil, which is something we're seeing a lot uh, as like a new trend is you know five and ten gallon pots out there with some sort of like living soil, some you know basically some like heavily amended potting mix, soil mix that's that's <clears throat> um, being called living soil. And, and we'll do some drybacks on that if we want to manipulate it. Um, yeah, in the raised beds, you know, mostly it's about, um, you know, drybacks during transition uh, to for, for canopy control. Um, so we're not getting quite as explosive 
uh, growth of the canopy uh, at the beginning of flower. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. One other interesting thing that we can do to manipulate the moisture as well that we've been looking into is uh, controlling the depth of the sensor. So this yeah. is a little bit of a, of a granular thing, but um, because of gravity, uh, water is not distributed evenly throughout soil. So basically, if you have a pot and your pot's like this tall, the further down into you get, the wetter it is. And it's not just because it's drying out from the top. Gravity is actually pulling the water down. And essentially, double check, but it's a one centimeter of height is one millibar of difference. So if you're on a bed and you're reading oh. at the very top of that bed, the moisture content's not going to be exactly the same at the bottom of the bed. And so you can either kind of try and get an average of the whole thing. Or one thing that's been really interesting is if you get a scent, the deeper you get a sensor into the pot, or bed, the longer of a dryback you can enact in between watering events. Because since it's wetter down here than up here, it's going to force all of this to dry down before it gets to here and then waters. So by doing a, we can now sort of either maintain a very static moisture content if we want, or we can, by, by choosing the depth of the sensor and how deep it is in the pot, we can control drybacks and yeah. how wide they are. And you know, I, don't, I know we're just talking this whole time. So if you got questions, just fire away here, Tyler. Guys are killing it. But, you know, I think we should really define what we're talking about when we're talking about drybacks, too. So, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, maybe uh, some people might think a dryback means when you start to notice like uh, a plant being affected by, uh, you know, taking all the moisture out of the soil, stressing them out. You know, there's that kind of, uh, I don't, I don't think you want to take it that far, but I don't know if I want to call it whole lot stuff, but there's like a, there's, there's a, there's some thoughts stressing plants out in that way is healthy for them. That's not the kind of drybacks we're talking about. That's, we're not taking them past like a permanent wilt point where we're actually damaging the plant. What we're doing is we're cycling uh, moisture levels um, within a uh, graph called a moisture release curve. And that is, you know, a, a, it's a concept that um, I think, you know, more cannabis growers are starting to become familiar with, but it's you know, as you're designing irrigation systems, as we're looking at optimal ways to irrigate plants, understanding what a, a moisture release curve or um, <clears throat> is, is something that's very important. And something I've never heard of before yeah yeah so is this you, something you you've probably got the best handle yeah. on these so it's something we used to work um work around with a lot back in the lab and things we see so as, as here so for to... those that don't know you know we before as he came to work over here at sustainable village he was at the uh, uh cu boulder soil science lab and uh yeah we kind of poached him from from yeah. uh specifically the soil yeah. soil microbiology yeah this, yeah um but yeah, so a big thing that we look at, um, and I, I think this answers like a lot of questions about like why a tensiometer is different than um, some of those prong sensors you see and like why do these give a percentage and this gives like a tension reading, what does that actually mean? So essentially there's two important things in soil relating to water or three, and that is the amount of water, that's the percentage, and the availability of the water, that's the tension. 
So water likes to stick to things uh, because it's polar. So it will stick to the soil. And depending on the texture of the soil, it will stick more or it will stick less. And with, then the plant has to unstick it. So basically it, the, the tension that you're actually reading with like a tensiometer is basically telling you how much work the plant is having to do to get the water out of the soil. So it doesn't really matter how much water there is from the perspective of what the plant's getting. It matters on how easily it can get it because who cares if there's a bunch of water, if the plant can get to any of it. Yeah, I want the um, plant to get easy yeah. water whenever it wants it. Treat, treat exactly. the kitchen or, you know, drink, go drink a glass of water at two o'clock in the morning if you want. Totally. To. And it means like your plant can have water available to it, but it might have to work harder to get to it. So you can totally exist in a place where your plant is like fine and it's looking okay and everything's just fine, but it's growing slower because it's having to exert a lot of energy into getting, um, getting things to itself. And, uh, and, and how it's controlling that is by opening up the stomata on its leaves. And like, there's just a whole process involved in getting it out. But the, the volume of water, the amount of water, it tells you uh, how much air there is, which is also very important because if there's this much water, there can only be this much, you know, out of 100%, if 80% is water, there's only 20% for the soil and the air. And That's things like pH. Yeah, pH and then also EC, which is the nutrient strength. And EC is very important in that's it's electrical conductivity, but it's just very important for living soil and for hydroponics because it's just a measure of how much nutrients there are, whether or not you're giving the nutrients or the microbes are giving those nutrients. There's a certain amount of nutrients that are available. And we'd like to ideally, it, it's crazy with soil because it's just all over the place and the microbes really are handling it for you. But so what that means is, you know, the more your soil dries out, the more the nutrient strength goes up because there's less water and the same wow. amount of nutrients. It's like if I poured some nutrients in this cup and then evaporated half of it, the, the amount of nutrients is the same, but now it's twice as concentrated. So you a moisture release curve, also called a moisture retention curve, is basically you've got a graph. And on that graph, on the Y, you have the percentage, the, the volume of water, they call it volumetric water content. And on the X, you've got tension. And so basically you just start measuring and you go at this at this percentage of water, this is the tension. At this percentage of water, this is the tension. At this percentage of water, this, and it draws a curve. Now, just to yeah. jump it in. Yeah. What, what, what we see is when we see this curve, the different soil types are going to have different shaped curves. Okay. So there's that means that the um, relationship between volumetric water content and soil moisture tension um, <clears throat> is different you know, and this is, I, I hope uh, this is fairly obvious to me, but, but the, it's going to be different from soil type to soil type. So um, there's a lot of stock ones out there. If you start going and Googling this or some cool YouTube videos that explain all this as well. Um, but, you know, what a peat based living soil mix might be is going to be different than what a pure cocoa uh, soil mix is going to be versus yeah. what uh, rock wool is going to be uh, versus what like, um, you know, a native soil, like a clay based or a sand or, sil you know, a uh, silty based. I can see them being widely different, you know, oh, yeah. more like are. get to yeah. know, getting, getting to know your soil's moisture curve is what this is about in my mind. Yeah. It's like a thumbprint for your soil and water. And the idea is just balance. 
it's just like it's just like making a grow room where you're balancing humidity and light and temperature and airflow and they all it doesn't you know one can't be too strong compared to the other it's the same exact thing in soil where you want to balance how much water how available is the water and how much air and then all the factors that get influenced by that Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It's just like we would, like you said, in the soil, we're going to balance everything. If there's too much of one thing, there's not enough of another. And we have back and forth. That's beautiful. I, I've never, I haven't, I didn't know these, these different points of reading soil and moisture. And also I haven't had anybody explain to me the difficulty of a plant sourcing out water. I never thought about that as being a measurable stat. Uh, yeah. So let's go into this a little bit further. What is this? Uh, what does this look like? Like, show me, show me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, draw it on. Yeah, are we going visual here? Or well, audio? no, I'm saying like, um, yeah. how are we? How are we doing this physically? Are we? Are is this so, like a? So some of the things we're looking at. I mean, and then I'll let you fill the, the gaps here. But basically, this it's going to really it's going to look like a curve. Like it's going to be a drop, like a slope. Okay. And at the top, it's going to be flat. And then at some point it's going to fall off and it's going to head down, you know, like a steeper slope, and then it's going to flatten off at the bottom. And those two transition points are the important parts on the graph to really, that we're really, really focused on. And the top is like, basically like saturation, like, a yeah. full, like fully like saturated water, right? Past field capacity. Yeah. Past field Drops capacity. off to dryness. I'm guessing. And then, and then the bottom curve where it, it flattens out, that's your permanent wilt point. So when we're irrigating, what we're, we're trying to do is all, we need to keep it in between those two points at all times, right? We need to keep it in between, uh, we need to keep it lower than field capacity, just a little bit lower than field capacity. And we need to keep it dry, uh, wetter than uh, permanent wilt point. And <clears throat> so you know, in order to do that, and, and different soils are more forgiving, right? So like a, a living soil that actually has a lot more, you, you have a lot more kind of space to work with. Cocoa has more space to work with than, than rock wool does, for instance. That's a real steep, that's a real steep cliff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What's cool about it is you can really, as Izzy was mentioning, um, as you get, as the volumetric water content drops in soil, the uh, the density of nutrients increases, right? Because it's it's more concentrated. Yeah. So the idea is to bring that moisture level down uh, closer to the permanent wilt point without hitting it, um, and therefore concentrating nutrients so that more nutrients are able to be uh, taken up by the plant. Um, <clears throat> and then, but but still hitting an irrigation event before we get to that permanent wilt point. So, <clears throat> how do we do that? Um, I mean, is that about right? Is that that's that's yeah, right? That's yeah. Right. And so, how do we do that? Is is we need to know because again, we have two, we have we have x y axis is here, and in one of the bottom that bottom axis that that's measured in in uh, tension, um, right? So that's usually in millibars or centibars, which are you know what the Blue Mat Digital Moisture Meter that's in millibars that's measuring in the aerometer products. Those are all measuring in centibars. Um, anything that's a tensiometer is gonna measure soil moisture tension. So using tensiometers to control irrigation events or influence our manual irrigation events <clears throat> is very important uh, in, in, keeping, in keeping the soil moisture content in between um, these, these two data sets or two data points that we, that we are focusing on. 
So knowing, <clears throat> taking your soil moisture, like, and you could go like a lot of bigger name brand uh, soils might publish their their own uh, moisture retention curve or moisture release release curve. Um, <clears throat> you can also go on. You can you, there's a there's a process to determine what your own is as well. We could we could tell you what that is if that's of interest too. Yeah, um, yeah but, definitely. That's kind of what I was getting to next. Is obviously I yeah. know I'm going to need. So you know, like, let's start know. there. I mean, if we're yeah. really trying to get super precise about the best moisture levels for for your soil that you've got at home in your raised beds out on the farm, there, Tyler, like this is the process you would go through. Yeah. So basically measuring volume of water is, is pretty easy because you can do it by weight. So you can do it with a sensor, like a volumetric water content sensor. But uh, if you, that's not how we would do it um, when we were doing things simply because weight doesn't lie. And just so beautifully in the metric system, one gram of water is one milliliter. So what you would do is basically take your soil, make it super dry, take like a five gallon pot's worth of it or a five gallon bucket, let's say. So if, if it's in your raised bed, just take some out and put it in a five gallon pot, fill it up and you would weigh it. So you know the weight of what it looks like when it's totally, totally dry. And then you would water it until it completely holds the absolute most amount of water it could hold. So you're seeing tons of runoff, it's draining out. And then once it's done draining, you weigh it. and the amount of grams it's increased in weight will tell you how much water there is. And then you just divide the two. So let's say it was like a thousand grams of soil and then you make it hold, and then you, know, you water it until it won't hold anything more and then let it drain out. And then you added 500 grams of water. That's 30% water content or 33% like what it's going to hold in total. And then you just stick the thing on a scale and stick a tensiometer in it. And then as it dries out, you just measure the weight, which, and then do that same equation, which tells you mm. what the water, what the volume is and weight doesn't lie. So you don't have to worry about like, is my sensor working or can I trust these numbers? It's just as simple as like, that's how much water there is. And then the tense that the thing is, is like with a volumetric water content, you can use weight or a sensor, but for tensiometers, you have to have a tensiometer. There's no alternative to it. So you stick a tensiometer in there and then you just record two data points and then you just like make your graph and then you just go, oh, it's at 55%. What's the tension? Oh, it's at 30%. What's the tension? Oh, it's at 20%. What's the tension? And you're going to see the curve form. Mm -hmm. And then once you do that, you know it. So, yeah. So basically you're going to, you're going to plot a bunch of points on a graph over time as the soil dries down using a tensiometer and, um, and the data from your scale, right? Because you're, your scale is how you're going to be measuring how much physical water is in your soil solution. And then when you put all those points together, if you take enough of them, yes, it's going to draw that same curve. It's going to be a flat top. And then there's going to be a, a it's going to fall off the top. And then at some point it's going to level out again. So then you'll be, and then when you find that, that transition point where it levels out uh, at the bottom of the graph, you're going to, you're going to know that's your permanent wilt point. Um, and then you're going to have a data point. You're going to say, Oh, that happens at 180 millibars, or that happens at, 300 millibars or whatever it's going to be. And um, <clears throat> so that's how you would do it for uh that's the process for doing it for a customized um, soil mix. Like, like you probably have at home, um, you know, yeah. right, for sure. most people that have like, you know, started with something they bought, you know, maybe they, they you know, who knows who they bought it from. 
But then they, they've that. added compost and they've added this and that. And they, you know, they moved some from here or they, you know, like had to relocate and then they were dumping it in wheelbarrows and, you know, so who knows, but they, <laughs> everybody's got their soil mix that they're using and it's all, it's going to be particular. Um, I think I'm going to go take my four by eight bed and put it on our pallet scale out in the back and connect <laughs> on a four by yeah. four bed. Yeah, but the beauty is that there's consistency in your soil. And this is one thing for commercial design and RM, but why we really like people having like a consistent soil mix throughout the whole bed and also um, between their beds is that if if you want to use sensors to monitor and even more so to control things, you want to know that those numbers that you're gaining are the same for everything because otherwise it's like, oh, well, I did it for this bed, but this bed is a totally different soil mix. So it's also slightly different, you know? And, um, and I, I, I want to stress like you don't have to be perfect. It's not like if you don't have these numbers, like perfectly exact, but you do want to know the general points that are going to tell you like, this is where the plant is getting stressed. Because one of the big things is you don't want to actually get to anywhere really near permanent wilting point there's a thing called available water content and that's the difference between runoff field capacity and permanent wilting point and then there's a thing they call maximum allowed depletion and that's just 50 percent of the way between those two and that is basically because it's, it's like a sliding scale as it gets drier and drier the plant's having more and more difficulty getting water and it's getting it's going to experience more and more water stress so by the time your plant's actually wilting, it's going to be super stressed out. So we don't want to actually get there. So, but we need to know like that's the point of mm -hmm. if you pass that point, it's yeah. a huge problem. Yeah, you know? that's permanent damage. Yeah, to the plant. And so you you know you've you've permanent you know for that growth cycle that plant is not going to produce its its full uh, yield. Definitely. Now you know uh, another interesting part when you start getting down towards the bottom of that mm -hmm. um, that curve is we're talking about nutrient levels increasing, right? So that means your EC is increasing. And as that EC increases, um, as, the, as the soil gets drier, your EC increases because the, the nutrient uh, profile within the soil solution is becoming more dense. And <clears throat> uh, we can also see issues getting down to that point with uh, like too much nutrients. So like yeah. higher than wanted nutrient availability. Absolutely. Well, it, it can just yeah. make the, it can make the pH fluctuate like mm -hmm. crazy. So all of a sudden there's lockout of too many types of nutrients, you know, because it's not, yeah, it's just, it's just a bad idea to make the plant have too high of an EC because it can really stress the plant out. And another, there's a number of different things that can happen. It can really yeah. mess stuff up. So again, thinking about soil as a liquid solution, um, you know, which it is, right? It's all kinds of stuff mixed together. It's the it's the organic materials, it's inert materials, it's it's minerals, and it's water. And basically, if you think about the whole soil body as a liquid solution, um, as the as the water is pulled out of it, like those nutrients become denser and denser in concentration. So, yeah. So again, as soil as the drier, the, the more dry a soil gets, the higher the uh, EC. Um, becomes definitely that's a, another kind of good takeaway and having a really good soil with like a, a high ability to hold on to nutrients can be really good because that ec is really just measuring what's dissolved in the water in the soil your soil could have much more nutrients than that so having like a cation exchange capacity which is like the ability of the soil to sort of like hold those nutrients for the plant to come get later um can be like really good because the more 
that's like in that they call it soil solution or soil water that's what the plant can't it's sort of like the plant has to take that up in certain forms as it's taking up water can we go back to uh, one thing that I found very interesting that you guys said was the measurement and data point of how difficult is it or how much energy is the plant exerting mining this water out from the soil and absorbing it and using it? Can you guys talk a little bit about uh, what techniques and what tools are used to, to to get that, to see what that measurement is and to understand that a little bit better? Because I feel like that's something that would affect my personal situation is like, how can I measure, you know, or look at my, my water moisture level as an available, as a easy to use thing for my plant, or is it hard to get, or how do I, how do I know that? That's just tensiometers. That's like how you yeah. measure it. Um, yeah. So again, that just, just the, the short answer is you, you keep it in that like upper two thirds of your moisture retention curve, basically like, and, and you know, you're doing that by, by using intensiometers to make sure you don't drop below a certain moisture level or above a certain moisture level. Um, if you want the like reason that's happening, um, you know, like. It's basically there, there's chemical and physical reasons, but it's basically decided by pore size. So water likes to stick to things and the, the smaller the pores are, the more um, surface area there is, because there's like many very small pores. Um, the more surface area there is for, for the water to stick to. So the finer textured the soil, it, the the more fine of a texture it has, the more the water is going to want to stick to it. That's why clay soils, water really likes to stick to it, where you yeah. can have a lot of water in that soil and very little of it is actually available to the plant because it reaches this point where the plant just like can't pull it out. I mean, the vacuums that you will see form in soil are mind-bogglingly large if you know pressure. I mean, we're talking like 50 PSI that the plant has. Like a lot of stuff in my mind come together. Like in, in cultivation, you have those moments of like confusion and then you have those vast moments of clarity. And for me, like you just helped me through one of those moments of clarity and confusion because I relate it to my own life of men. Like, man, that's that one time I went way over crazy thinking worm castings were the best thing in the world. And I put like way too much into a fabric pot. It was insane. But that soil, it retained so much water. It was amazing. But once it dried out, oh my gosh, it was so difficult to get it wet again. And there was just giant vacuum going on in the soil, like you're explaining. So, uh, man, that made, made a lot of sense. You can go overboard with certain things and, and, and see some, some very extreme extremes. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you want to just figure out, it's like I said, so it's all about balance in terms of like, you could have a point where your tension is really good. Like the plant is getting tons of water, but it's way too dry in the soil. And so the EC is super high. And so the plant's getting nutrient stressed. So you want to find something that balances air, water, and nutrient. Cause that's like the factors that the plant is really caring about you can't have any one of those things be too off or else the plant will be unhappy regardless of if the other two are fine in my soil moisture meter that i got from you guys that's the carrot with the meter at the top that's a tensiometer right yeah yeah so it's it's um that's like one of these yeah one of these but with a little, little head, head on, screwed top. on top yeah it'll, yeah i got the little white cap yeah. to cover it from the sun too yeah exactly so that will have like a, that's these you know they look like 
there are these you know uh, plastic tubes with a ceramic tip and then on top it screws on this digital meter head and um, basically that just has a little button on it. it has one button you hit the button and it's going to give you a digital readout when you hit that button um, and that's going to be a, a measurement of millibars is it still so, at 100 millibars you guys want to be at is that still your guys's optimum target range no <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm going from, uh, from well, it, yeah. it depends on your it depends soil. on your soil type right it yeah depends on your soil type oh okay yeah so we're you know like cocoa you want you would want to be at like 40 or 30 which would be very wet for certain soils and yeah i mean we, we've been finding that you can run things much wetter than people have previously thought around Suggested. living soil yeah 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 so, you know, um, set up to your soil mass, Do you have air under it where it's drying from the bottom as well. Like there, there's so many different factors going on there too. Yeah. Well, that's why we like grassroots yeah. pods is because yeah, the, we don't, we don't want things drying out unpredictably. Yeah. We want things drying out predictably. So no, we, I mean, yeah, as, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, we, you know, we love your product and everything, but it, it really is, uh, unique and special, like the, the, the living soil liner piece um is a total game changer for for fabric pots i mean you know we we talk about it with a lot of our customers use uh grassroots beds and um yeah that, if well, you get that I think there's also the ease of a, a fabric pot with the with the moisture retention on the sides of, of, of like like, like a plastic, plastic pot container. yeah yeah we well, there's don't certain people out there that alter that and do other things and i think cause them issues like i'm dealing with a customer where he uh, set up the bottom of his grassroots raised bed, the bottom like 12 inches of it are uh, like a Hugo culture wood setup. And um, it's, it's ma a massive dry out happening also from the bottom up. So it's like, he's, uh, it just kind of like been a nightmare and he's came to the fact of he's going to tear the part the bed apart. And I'm just going to go with hundred percent soil. Um, because there was just so many other factors happening there. And he was thinking this wood was, was going to degrade in like six months or something like that and turn into soil. And it's like, he's still got full giant logs under there that aren't degrading at all. So it's like, well, yeah, you know, like, fabric raised bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty ambitious 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, Hugo culture is a cool idea. Like we're, I mean, we, we're both like, you know, permaculture. Yeah, my whole front yard is Hugo culture beds. But the, you know, it, but it's for you know it's designed to be outdoors and, and buried and like in a big soil, soil mass groundwater and store groundwater in drier conditions and things like that you know i mean a, a fabric raised bed uh we pretty much only recommend folks and people do whatever they want please and do whatever you want um you know out in the weed growing world everybody has got an opinion and um <clears throat> but the uh the the soil like we i mean i recommend you know if you're gonna if you're gonna get a you're gonna get a grassroots bed you know, you fill it with soil, you fill it with, you fill it with uh, your, just the top to bottom consistent moisture. Cause, cause that from an irrigation point of view, we want that consistency because we're going to be able to um, interact with it and uh, uh, manipulate it much easier. Uh, if it's, if it's consistent and has, you know, just has like a, a high level of capillary action from totally. the bottom. With a <laughs> cannabis clone that needs 14 to 16 inches of nice, beautiful soil to stretch out its roots in so oh. it's you know we have other people that are doing layers of sand and rock and all kinds of stuff and it's just like i, I kind of i caution against that stuff and say you know hey 
Um, you know, for us, I recommend putting, you know, if you're going to do a drain tray, do a drain tray on the ground and then put like a one inch layer of pumice rock in the bottom of the drain tray Then throw your bed on top of that and put nothing but soil inside the bed. So then if you overwater, we know the water is leaving the bed and it's not like sitting in a pit of water. Yeah. I'd love to hear your guys' explanation of how you think of that. Cause that's actually what I truly recommend to our customers if they're going down that route. I mean, look again, there's lots of different ways to do this and structure it and like i don't we don't really have anything bad to say about anything anybody you know that's kind of like us but um we have seen more success than others in 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 how like i mean i guess part of your question is like when you get a grassroots fabric bed and you fill it with soil like what do you what should you put underneath it i mean is that kind of what well, I, I think it's a big thing. I think that's a, something that customers are struggling with constantly is do I throw it right on the ground? Is that okay? You know, do I have to put it in a tray? Do I have to do this? I, yeah. If you're in the second story in a building, maybe we need to worry about water retention, but if, you know, so I think there's a lot of different ways to skip. Yeah, I mean, I think we don't, I mean, one of the main things we don't want to, we don't want a lot of airflow going through the bottom of the bed. Right. Like we, you know, having some available oxygen is not such a bad thing. Um, and, and having the ability for it to drain, you don't want it sitting in a sealed tray, right. So that if it ever does over water, then it's going to fill up with water and be, you know, sitting in a, in a, in a swimming pool. We don't want to see that. We always want the ability, you know, any, I mean, and, and let's be real, like you're growing a, uh, uh, any kind of plant in any kind of container, like you, you have to have an ability for runoff to occur. Um, or else you're just setting yourself up for disaster. So we never we never want to see a, a bed sitting directly in a tray with no ability for runoff. Um, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, just well, what's your personal opinion, Izzy? What do you think? I think one of the biggest things that people don't realize about the whole like layering thing um, is it's just a thing called perch water table, which I'm sure a lot of people might know about. But basically, if you have media, because it's getting wetter and wetter and wetter. At the bottom of every bit of like media, so let's say you have a pot and at the bottom of that pot, there's going to be a moment where gravity exerts the same amount of force as wicking or capillary action is wicking it up. So it's getting pulled down and up at the same amount. So it just sits there. And so there's this thing at the bottom of every single container called a perch water table, which is basically a zone where it's just super wet. And so if you and your bed put a bunch of like gravel at the bottom of your bed to increase aeration, it's not actually increasing aeration at all. All it's doing is moving that perch water table upwards. And the thing is that perch water table is a moment where the it, it, it stays really wet there and roots don't really want to grow in it um, because it's super wet. So um, I advise against putting aeration layers at the bottom of your bed for the purpose of like increasing airflow because it actually doesn't do that. It's just taking away rooting space for the plants. It seems like it makes the whole situation more difficult. In my yeah. Opinion. And then on the horizontal layer thing, all I got to say is like it's benefits and drawbacks and everything has a benefit or a drawback. And I think you just have to decide if that is worth it to you. So one thing is like if you have like seven layers of different soil in your bed and we stick a sensor in there, if it hits a different layer, that number is going to mean a different thing. So I'm not going to be able to tell you what number you're looking for because every one of those layers is going to have its own little perch water table and its own little, you know, its own little thing. And so it just makes using sensors really difficult. 
you know, and it, it makes like understanding what's going on more difficult. But that being said, if you feel that the benefit gained by those layerings overrides the ability to sense things. And I, so it's, it's like, I'm not telling people what to do. I just always say that there's benefits and drawbacks to everything. And since we're the sensor people and we're trying to tell people how to monitor soil, it's like, we'd like to see a, a consistent soil. If you want to be able to know what readings you're getting and make decisions based off those things. If that makes sense. No, that's a perfect explanation. And everybody wants consistency. And I think that's what you're looking for, whether it's consistent harvests and consistent product in the end. And it all starts with consistent soil, consistent moisture, consistent feeding of the right nutrients at the right time or having it. And it all flows along. It's like conversation we're having about water. It's the same conversation you'd have with a soil technician and then balancing your soil and getting it in the right areas. So it's like, I'm glad we get to take such a deep dive and how that affects, how water affects that situation because water is your biggest nutrient. I think everybody, everybody just doesn't take that in mind, you know? Uh, so very, very cool. Um, I have a, a question floating in the back of my mind, um, me going off of my old data that I know about Sustainable Village and Blue Mats. Do you guys have, like in a 30-gallon pot, let's say we're, we're running a 30-gallon living soil grassroots pot, and you have, I saw you guys did a, a thing on social media where we have the drip tape around there and you have one moisture sensor. Um is it still good to have a deep sensor and um, a shallow sensor or is there a size container where we should switch over to having a deep sensor and a shallow uh, container? Um, just kind of going back to what you guys suggest in different situations. Depends on what you want. Yeah. You know, well, it does. Depends on what you want. Um, if you want, there's, there's, effects. there's, there's different. Yeah. You can. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Um <laughs> Look, we're we're going for simplicity these days. We want we want like a high level of functionality. We want a certain kind of functional ease of use, right? So, in general, I think it makes most sense to use uh, one carrot, one carrot per pot, especially in a thirty gallon container. And um, you know, I wonder if I have, I have one here. We have. Uh, these so this here i mean i don't think people are going to see this i don't know if we're going to go on visual with this or if this is an audio thing but what this what this is it's a it's a new device that we've gotten from italy um and it's basically uh it's an emission device so we can cook this up to the end of a blue mat this is a 10 inch uh, drip ring mm. and um we can hook this directly into the end of a blue mat so we can, for a 30-gallon pot these days, uh, and this is probably different than we've recommended in the past, and I acknowledge that, but we're, we're kind of going through a constant evolution of design and finding new products. And, like, and you know, I think that's what what's called for, honestly, is to be continuously looking for what's better and not just, you know, um, getting constantly improving, in. constantly improving, constant improvement, you know, which means that we're, we're changing our minds sometimes. And again, I acknowledge that, <clears throat> but this, this drip ring, a 10 inch drink ring on a 30 gallon pot um, is about the simplest and easiest way to water a 30 gallon pot. So we see a lot of facilities that have many 30 gallons pot, right? Maybe you have a hundred, 200, a thousand, something like that. Very popular and, for moms. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. Particularly for moms. That seems to be the uh, 30 gallons for moms is really common actually. Uh, <clears throat> so one 10 inch sensor, sorry, nine inch sensor, the maxi and a 10 inch drip ring. 
um, economic, it's economical for one thing. We're going for economics these days too. You know, we do, and we're we're cap dialing, which is another process we haven't even gotten into today. Mm. It's basically a way to dial um, one, ten, a hundred, a thousand carats all at the same time. Um, oh, we have to talk about that and uh, and get them and and have them all basically hit the exact moisture level, so that we can get super consistent moisture level from pot to pot to pot to pot. So if we have one, 10, you know, thousand, whatever it is, containers in the room, they're all hitting the same moisture level. And that's how that adjustable pressure reducer works, by the way. So if we have a, we have a method for dialing one, you know, dialing all of our carrots to the exact same uh, moisture level now, um, <clears throat> very consistently. And so then we know that every pot in that room is at 80 millibars so that when we drop the pressure it jumps up to 120 millibars or whatever that is you know that's how that adjustable pressure reducer tech kind of works with it <clears throat> um but yeah one one nine inch maxi carrot and one of these 10 inch drip rings for a 30 gallon pot i would go anywhere from a probably a 10 gallon to a 30 gallon pot with these 10 inch drip rings i've got a five inch ring that goes great with the uh, five gallon and below pot um you know we get into work with the bigger water. containers hmm? Go ahead. I was going to say, how does it work with emitting water out of the bottom? I see where uh, it's basically there's a piece of drip tube. There's a quarter inch drip tube that's mounted on the inside with emitters every four inches. Every four inches. Okay. And that's you know, the thing is like this particular model of tubing that we got from this one manufacturer works really good. And we have not had that experience with other uh, brands or manufacturers. So um, this is the one that we're going with. We're, you know, it's, we call it, it's, it's our plant. We've brand. been looking for a long time. Yeah, we've been looking for a long time. This is the one that works. It's new to the market. Um <clears throat> So it's, it'll be on our website. Uh, it's like there's a 10 inch plant ring and there's the five inch plant ring or trip ring. Yeah. I don't know what we're calling them exactly, but something like that. And, uh, but they're just going to, we've, we've put a couple thousand of them out so far. Uh, there's, we've got facilities running them. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them in Montana. We've got some guys here local in Boulder, some big ones in New Mexico uh, that are, that are doing this with this drip ring and they're working spectacularly. So I really, I really think that's the future is uh, for anything that's in that like small, like 30 gallons and down that are doing multiples, like one nine inch carrot and one of these drip rings. I mean, we're talking like, we're talking like 15 bucks a pot or something like that for, for individual per pot moisture control sensing, you know. Uh, it's pretty low. It's pretty low. Yeah. There, like there's no controller on the back end, right? So you might have a, you might be able to buy a, a drip emitter for cheaper. You would definitely be able to buy a drip emitter for cheaper. But you'd have to have a whole control system to get anywhere close to what we're doing, and that that's going to be tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, we, if not more, if, if more, if not hundreds, you see people, yeah, yeah, it's spending ridiculous. Well, money. What it takes to run those systems correctly too is a whole nother. And, yeah, and you're not crazy. even, and they're not even to get them right because they're just like when you do that, you have like one moisture meter per hundred pots or something like that, or let or even more pots. So you're not getting that kind of like individual microclimate monitoring that you're getting so every single plant is getting consistent watering um yeah yeah per plant so i think one of the big things with the drip rings and stuff that i like that like has become our big focus particularly definitely mine and i would say most other people at the company as well it's like it's uh it's all about consistency particularly commercial scale but definitely all the way down to a small scale as well it's like consistency of those three things we talked about with bloom ads consistency of how you're setting them consistency of the pressure behind them and consistency of where they're getting placed and where the water is coming out. So even though you could do like a ring of blue soak and it will work just as well, 
the fact that you got to cut it and connect it and do all these things to, and that you at each step you need to make sure that it's the same so having something that's like plug and play that they're all going to be the same and these drip rings have this kind of convenient little gap in them Let's fit around the stock here yeah so you just put your care right there and then uh so then that allows you to know that everything's like the same the same same i just had a conversation with a commercial client this morning was about this where they're like oh we're just getting some different readings bed to bed and i was like oh did you preset them do the cap dialing they're like yeah we did um and then i was like well do you have consistency in where your blue mats are being placed and they're like no because the thing is a tensiometer is a physical it's a physical thing that's happening the water has to actually get over to it and so if it's three inches away from where water's coming out versus if it's six inches away from where water's coming out it's going to take longer for that water to get there and everything's going to get wetter by the time it does. So where you're placing your, your sensor, and I, I like saying sensor because really this is the same for any sensory system you're going to do, not just blue mats, but definitely with blue mats. It, where you place it is just as important as what it's set to, if that makes sense, that they're both like equally important in what's like ending up happening. So for me in a commercial system, if you want to do something that's simple and it works and it's easy and it's not a headache, it's just everything should be like as consistent as possible. So on the other side, you can expect everything to behave the exact same way and make decisions that you know will affect the whole grow. Yeah. That's beautiful. So how are you guys uh, dialing in anywhere from one to a hundred uh, um, carrots to be all the same? Right. So, um, when, so we're, we're going to take a jump and say, and we really haven't like looked at a blue mat or even talked about exactly how they looked. I think we're kind of making a bit of an assumption that the people listening to this know what, yeah. kind of how, they, how they function. But, um, to give a quick overview of that is the, the blue mat itself is it's a, it's a ceramic, it's a device, right? It's a moisture sensing valve. Uh, it's a tensiometer that's, that controls a valve. And what it's the way it looks is there's a there's a ceramic tip, there's a plastic column um, that's either you know two or five inches long, and then on top of that there's a screw cap, and that screw cap is basically the valve device. Um, <clears throat> the whole column is filled with water, and it's inserted into the soil. Now that cap uh, that's screwed on tight is it's underneath of it. Yeah, like underneath it. of it, like in, on the inside of it, has a rubber diaphragm. Uh, and this rubber diaphragm is 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 physically connected to a pinch valve, and when the um, uh, and that pinch valve is closing is pinching a, a piece of thin three millimeter tubing that goes through the top of the cap. So your cap that's screwed onto the top of this column, uh, it's a green cap with a brown dial, uh, and a piece of three millimeter silicon tubing that goes through the top of it goes in and that's being pinched by this valve. Um, and that valve is connected to this rubber diaphragm. As the soil dries out, <clears throat> that the, 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 the pressure inside the cone um, becomes negative. So the, the, <clears throat> the soil dries out, the ceramic tip dries out, a negative pressure is created, and that negative pressure pulls on the diaphragm itself to, to open uh, a water flow. So that's like the basic functionality of a blue mat is, is the <clears throat> soil dries out, pressure changes inside of it. That pressure is exerted on a rubber diaphragm, which opens a pinch valve uh, that allows water to flow through a thin piece of tubing 
irrigating your pot, container, bed, whatever, until the soil reaches the <clears throat> moisture level that you have it set at and neutralizes the pressure inside of the cone and it turns itself off. So really it's, it's, it's in a, you know, I'll let you get into this yeah. in a second, but the, the, uh, <clears throat> that rubber diaphragm is, um, operates by having tension exerted upon it, right? So when we're, when the soil's drying out, uh, tensions being that rubber, the rubber diaphragm has tension being exerted on it because it's it's existing in an environment of negative pressure. So, um, <clears throat> what we've found is, is is if when we do the dial-in process on the carrot, with the bottom of the carrot removed, so that it's so that that diaphragm is just completely open to oh. atmosphere. Okay, we're able to get consistency 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 so i mean do you want to go you want to explain the technique yeah well i just yeah. think I've, I've developed some good analogies to explain this in slightly more like layman's terms i think um so basically a really good example of what's going on is the thing's full of water and when the soil dries out water gets sucked out through that ceramic cone no air can get in to replace it so it makes a vacuum vacuum and negative pressure is this that's the same we're, we're talking about the same thing so an uh, analogy I really like is when you're chugging from a water bottle really fast and water is going into your mouth, but no air is getting into the water bottle, the sides start to crumple in. Yeah. And then later when air gets it, you know, you can push it back out. Same exact concept. So it's sealed. And as water comes out, the diaphragm that's on top of it, basically that's how a tensiometer works. You stick it in the soil, soil dries out, water gets sucked out, it makes a vacuum. You have a gauge on there that reads that vacuum that tells you what the tension of the soil is. And this guy in Austria, when he made blue mats, was like, wait a moment, let's stick a diaphragm on that. And that's a valve. So basically, as the soil dries out, it pulls a vacuum. That vacuum pulls the diaphragm down, which unpinches the tubing. And that the, the little brown screw cap that's on top of blue mats is basically you're just tightening it down onto the tubing. So it acts like a gate. It's basically like there's a top and a bottom and the bottom just coming down and coming up and coming down and coming up and just pinching it and opening it and pinching it and opening it. And so um, the thing is blue mats are very sensitive. So you stick it into the soil. The moment it touches the soil, if that soil is dry, that diaphragm starts coming down. And so now when you are trying to set that blue mat, you're no longer setting it against zero or like rest point. It's like tearing this is another analogy where like it's like tearing a scale and then trying to weigh something on it so it's like you like put something that's like two grams on a scale and then you weigh and then you tear it so it's zero again and now you're weighing it as if it's zero but it's not actually zero it's teared so when you're setting the blue mat you know you know the, the diaphragm inside the blue mat comes down and then when you try to set it it's no longer set at rest if that makes sense so by not having the bottom on the blue mat and just setting everything with just the top on it with just the top not to net connected to anything removing any of the factors that could influence where that ends up essentially if that makes sense um and then if we just make the pressure consistent so we will just have a pressure reducer that just goes straight into um a little elbow or a tease, which just dead ends right to the carrot. We'll just sit there with a big pile of blue mat caps and you just attach it, set it, take it off, attach it, set it, take it off, attach it, set it, take it off. So we can basically assembly line set right. many there's, of these blue mats. Because it's a basic process that if people use blue mats or whatever they, they're familiar with where you dial it in. So we're 
you know, it's connected to a pressurized water source. You open up that brown cap until you get water flow, and then you dial it back until you get this hanging drip, and then you go back like two more triangles. Yeah, and the dry, yeah, the dry, <laughs> the, the hanging dry. drop is that what you? Yeah, said? I, I like the term drop more than drip. I think one of the is things, he trying to do a, a well? A, I think one of the things that's, um, one of the things that's confusing to people is that drip is active, which makes all right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah, drop. It's like hasn't it's dropped yet. It's sitting there with the suction. Yeah. It's, it's the exact moment where water flow is cut off. Yeah. So you get the hanging drop <laughs> or drip as we've used previously, <laughs> but um, and yeah, and that's what the with the bottom connected to it, right? So that's just to the open atmosphere, and then what you do is you get one of these protective caps we have. They're like a little plastic cap that actually they're made by the blue map factory and they snap right on top of the of the dial so you can't change that dial anymore so you pop you pop one of those on and now this cap it's like this loops you know this loose you know the top of a blue mat it's got you know three millimeter tubing going through it it's 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 set like that thing if you do if you you know if at 15 psi you set this thing at 15 psi and you do two triangles back you know, you're going to hit right around 100 millibars with that, 80 to 100 millibars. Something like that. Yeah. So we're, we have a graph. Depending on yeah. your pressure. Yeah. And so then you, you then you can have a box of those preset caps, right? And all you got to do at that point is soak the bottom of the carrot for 15 minutes, make sure it's full of water, take that cap, stick it underwater and attach it um, to the, to the, to the carrot bottom. And it's a, it takes a time, it takes a, like a relatively time consuming piece out of the install practice of a, of a blue mat system. And it cuts that down dramatically. I mean, it's still time consuming, but it, the, it's much, much less. And it also gives you extreme uh, uniformity from carrot to carrot to carrot to carrot. So from container to container to container, and you don't have to guess anymore. Um, you just, you just follow this process It's basic SOP and you know, it, it makes having a thousand carrots in a facility totally doable um, and, and, and something that we would 100% recommend um, if they're if they're done in this, you know, particular process. And then once you have those sensors set, you can you can take them out, you can throw them in a bucket of water, you can put them back in, they never have to be reset either. So like from round to round to round, when people pull their carrots to like dump soil, till, do whatever they're doing with their with their soil mix, you know, to re-amend, uh, people tend to pull their irrigation out between those uh, cycles. The carrots just go right back in, ready to rock um, at that yeah. point, as long as they're stored in a bucket of water or yeah. something like that. So yeah. rather than the older process was you stick a blue mat in and you kind of adjust it to where you want it. And then each cycle you do that, which involves like each time, time and energy spent kind of like adjusting and, and finagling things. Um, now it's basically like you set your sensors one time and they're set forever. And then the beautiful more thing that's more or less, they, they might change over a few years as the plastic and the diaphragm, it tends to dry out a little bit over the course of several years, but for all intents and purposes, it'll be the same cycle to cycle for a long time. And what we've, um, what that's opened up for us is that we, we can actually preset 
sensors if we want to for people like we can preset them before they even leave oh, yeah should we announce this now yeah that... yeah i guess so i mean oh, yeah. ba basically what we could do now big announcement folks yeah because yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. it has to be done by hand we can basically yeah. preset the blue mats before they leave mm -hmm. for people and yeah. as long and with the adjustable pressure reducers we just tell people like to it at this pressure yeah there's a gauge so we know it's the same we can set the blue mats and we can send them out to people. And then rather than them having to do anything with their blue mats, they just come preset. And they just take the bottom, soak it for 15 minutes, put the top on underwater, and stick yeah. it in. Yeah, for about six months now, we've 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 picked a handful of pilot projects where we preset all the carrots here in Boulder, Colorado, um, dry. You know, like there's no the the, the bottoms never touch water. We ship them, you know, ship them to Arizona, to California, to New Mexico, to Michigan wherever they're going, people then uh, soak the bottoms through the tops in, plug them in, boom, they're off to the races. Like there's no, they don't even do any adjustment. So yeah. Um, I mean, if you're going to adjust We have it. not promoted this at all. We've not even really, we've, this, is the, this is literally the first time that we've mentioned this. Uh, but we, <laughs> yeah, we're going to start, I think, offering that as a service. If people want to have, they can receive preset carrots here um, in in our uh, shop space. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, preset all the carrots here at the, uh, we have a R&D workshop here um, where we test stuff out and we'll do all the, we'll do all that here. They'll be preset, they'll be capped. And really people, all we'll need to do is, is soak the bottom, screw them on, put them in the soil and they're going to hit your target moisture levels. Yeah. So I've got a couple of stupid questions too. When we uh, go ahead, Izzy, if you're. Oh, I was just say when you adjust the blue mats at that point, you you if you want to adjust your blue mats, you can just adjust them uh, either by hand or with the reducer. So if you want, you can plug them all in. You have 100 carrots controlling all your pots, and then they're already preset. And now if you want to adjust them, you don't even really have to touch the carrots in the same way you used to. Yeah. Stupid questions. Let them roll. Okay. So um, when I'm using, this is probably because of my own failures. Okay. This is probably my inducing. It's probably my fault. So we're going to get down to the bottom of that. So, or lack of knowledge, let's say that that's going to be lack of knowledge. Um, so when I'm using your guys' moisture meters in my soil, um, I'm thinking it's because it's getting too dry too fast. And uh, the moisture meter, I would go back and I would look at it, maybe pull it up out of the soil just to check it. And it would be losing some water in there. And mm. I'm guessing that's because it's not getting rehydrated because my soil is just too dry. And I've always had that problem with just dry hydrophobic soil. It's It's been difficult to keep my soil wet at some points. Once I get it wet, then it's, it's good to stay like that. But is that a, a common thing you're seeing when somebody's soil is too dry, that it's just depleting the water out of the carrot? If your soil is dry enough to become hydrophobic, sure, it'll pull water out of that meter. I mean, think about it. It's like it's just a ceramic cone that's like that has some permeability. So as um, you know, you can dry it out. You know, that's so again, if you're getting to a point of like hydrophobic dryness, that's it's probably just a, basically evaporating through the tip at that point. That um, has to be what's happening. If I'm losing water out of the column, it had that has to be the end result, right? Yeah. Well, the other is there's a crack in here somewhere, which yeah. I mean, we've sold like thousands and thousands of these, and I've probably seen that like handful of times i don't know like yeah like 10 or yeah if you've ever dropped but... a thing on a concrete floor and there's a crack yeah. in it i mean that that could be a thing but uh it has to be pretty dry for water to get fully sucked out of it like that and we're talking like really dry no so, like fully hydrophobic yeah so yeah. fully hydrophobic so yeah. one of one of the biggest 
things where I see people do that is they let their soil dry out in between cycles. Um, that's And this is a bigger thing with peat because cocoa can be re-wetted very easily. So if you're using cocoa, it's not yeah, really a problem. Real. But peat, if it goes hydrophobic, can get really difficult to rehydrate. And so what I'll see people do is the most common time I'll see it is they don't have any plants in and they, you know, and they leave it for like all of winter or they leave it, you know, for like two weeks until the next plants go in or whatever. And in that time, it gets super dry. And the problem with peat, this is another really important thing for blue mats is like consistent starting moisture. Peat, when it gets dry, you might be able to re-wet it, but you have like weird dry pockets like throughout the thing because the whole thing doesn't want to re-wet itself. And then also you can... um I mean, everyone's done this where you pour a bunch of water on your plants. You're like that's like five gallons. Then you literally move the top of the soil and it's like a quarter inch down. It's like yeah, yeah. literally dust. Um, so I think that like not letting your soil go hydrophobic is probably the best way to combat that. And getting your soil moist again can be pretty tough. I think the big, the best way I found to do it is physically mixing it, which obviously in a no-till situation, you probably don't want to do. Um, but you know, like pouring in water and like shoveling and mixing it as you're watering it will work or using a surfactant agent. Um, but you don't want to do too much of that. Cause then it could keep the soil for too wet afterwards. Like there's a good balancing factor there. You don't want to definitely do one thing, but, but I think Izzy's point is, um, some folks might, uh, forget to keep watering their soil between cycles. Right. So if, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Like if you're having a rest period in between a living soil cycle, you, if the whole idea of like living soil is you want to keep it alive. So mm -hmm. the point is to, you would like to keep it moist. You should be inoculating. Uh, you should be, you know, making sure you have a mulch layer. You should be doing some root drenching. Keep your irrigation on. Yeah. Keep your irrigation on. Just keep the thing rolling and, and keep things because blue mats don't, you know, they're not going to hit runoff. That's the thing. Yeah. If you have a blue mat system, it's just going to water a small amount during that time. They're yeah, not, they're not going to overwater, but any irrigation. I mean, you just want to keep watering your soil in between. Yeah, in but, between cycles, or if your pots are sitting outside, you know, like a lot of people that do outdoor, yeah. you know, their their pots might sit outdoors over the winter, um, and you know that that's an opportunity for things to dry out too much if you don't get a lot of precipitation. Okay, Definitely. so I, I want to spend, let's say, the last you know five ten minutes here. Of like, uh, let's say you're a grassroots customer. You got a bunch of three by three beds set up in a room. Now we're gonna do a full blue mat switch over to this room. Um, what would be one bed at a time? This just our first bed. You know, um, from beginning to end, what are we gonna set up and what are we gonna do? And I'm guessing the first step is gonna be. Uh, making sure that you've got the consistent moisture and the optimum moisture level before you set up the system. Well, it doesn't have to be optimum. It just has to be wet. You yeah. just, you need to make sure that it is evenly moist to begin with so that it stays even from then on. Because if you have dry pockets throughout your soil and they're hydrophobic, which means they don't want to get wet again. If you stick a sensor, any sensor, regardless of it's a blue mat or not into a dry pocket, it's going to read dry. And if you stick into a wet pocket, it's going to read wet. So you want a consistent starting moisture that ideally is pretty wet. It does not have to be the exact moisture content that you're going to end up at. That's, you don't have to like, oh, I'm shooting for 50 millibars. The soil has to be 50 millibars for the sensor to go in. You just want it to be very thoroughly watered and have it be very consistently watered. 
which I think would be the case for basically any facility anywhere mm -hmm. or home grow. Yeah. So that's like your basic starting point. And then as far as the components that go in the bed, um, you know, especially if you're doing like multiple of these, we're talking, you know, 10 or more or something like that. Like I would just go honestly with one maxi carrot, which is a nine inch, that's the longer one per bed uh, connected to one of our manifold systems. So on a three by three, it would be three or four or four uh, three foot lengths of blue soak. That's their, that's our soaker hose, our Tyvek based soaker hose and with a little manifold on either end. So yeah, the, the uh, uh, maxi manifold. The four by four, like you, we have a kit called a four by four maxi manifold. Yeah, it works great for three by threes or four by fours. But that we really like manifolds for the consistency's sake because, and, and what a manifold looks like essentially, just if you're visualizing it, is you've got four straight lines of soaker hose that are running across the bed, and then they're all connected at both sides. So when, so what what that does is it means. It's if we know exactly where the water is coming out and it's all very even and geometric. Whereas if you're doing a spiral, we used to do a lot of those. The reason why we don't do it anymore, it's not because it doesn't work. It works fine. It's just, it's hard to do many of them and ensure that they're all laid out the same way. But if we're doing four, four foot lengths of, you know, of like at a four by four bed, we have four, four foot lengths of soaker hose and they're each have six inches in between each of those lines. It just allows us to know exactly where things are placed. And so then with the blue mat, we do them all exactly one foot inside the manifold and three inches away from to the left of the soaker hose. You know, it just allows us to create that consistency in the placement of everything. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's great. Um, so, so basically you'd have that per bed and then you would have a supply line that, that somehow ran to each bed. You know, past each bed, and it would in your in your main water source would tap into that, and that supply line would run back to some sort of pressurized water source, either either a pump kit, or um, or just a hose bib with a pressure reducer on it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and then um, it's no problem when you come through once a week. Obviously, it's the stupidest question I'm answering it as I'm saying it, but you come through once a week with a 50-gallon drum, sub pump, and garden hose to do your feeding or your compost tea or whatever it is. You you drench that whole bed. Is it okay to to drench that carrot too? You're just soaking the whole thing, not paying attention. You're just watering everything, or is there certain SOPs we need to follow? Very, that's a very common SOP. The main thing, you know, you, you would want to try to water that in evenly, you know, that, that but uh for the most part yeah it's a very common sop is to just run clean water through the blue mat system and then if you want to do a liquid input uh or top dressing a liquid top dressing then uh you just go ahead and do that it it brings the moisture level a little bit higher than you have it set at and the blue mats just turn off until the moisture level drives back down but you know realistically like if you're feeding a, a, a three by three bed like you know you're putting a, a few gallons of water in there yeah say probably five gallons three to five gallons yeah which you know like within a day you're back down to your target level um, yeah so. the blue mats don't care why it's wet they're just set to a moisture content i mean that's the thing is it's not it's like a it's a sensor but it's it's a physical thing that's happening this is all just like simple water physics so if it's wetter there's nothing that's going to make the thing open 
If it's drier, it will. So if it dries out because the plant is drinking the water or because it's really hot out and it's just evaporating, it's gonna water all the same. If it's wet because the water came through the bloomette or because you put the water down, it's also all the same. So you can definitely water on top of bloomettes and you can totally put nutrients through bloomettes. We just want clean nutrients. So you could do like, there's certain organic nutrients you can do. You can definitely run clean salts and things like that. But when we're talking biologics, like, like compost teas, ferments, things like that. We recommend hand watering them just because you don't want to clog the system up. Plus anything that's going to like, yeah, become Pro biologically. Proliferate in there. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, we love Organics right. Alive. Those guys are awesome. Super great product. We've had trouble running those products through our blue mats because they're, because they're, they're so alive. Like in our tanks, don't water right away. You know, like if we mix up a mixing tank and, and run it through the blue mats, it might take a day. You know, a day to run through and in that time like enough um chemical processes have occurred in that reservoir it's a tribute to the name it's of their product it's alive it's going to be yeah, it's alive. It's it's really is. Of- i mean it's awesome i just watered my whole outdoor thing with organic alive the other day but i did it as a top dress you know i mixed it up in, in buckets and i like just top dressed in on top of my 65 gallon grassroots pots um you yeah. know and, yeah, going uh, back and doing a, a, a root drench. Um, honestly, it's like for me and my grow, I only see my grow once a week, uh, sometimes twice a week. I, you know, I'm not there at the place. I have to go travel and, and see it and to just sit there and do a root drench for every plant and take the time to look at every plant and give it that time, that love. It's the shade of a farmer over the plant. You know what I mean? It's, it's not much to ask because you're implementing so many techniques in your garden to not be there. You know what I mean? To be able to not be there. That's the glory of your guys' things is is we can set up this bed that maintains moisture, set up a system that helps us maintain the moisture, and then be able to walk away from it and go and enjoy a weekend with your family. Oh, yeah. That's why I love Blue Mats. I have walked away from my grove yeah. so much. I This summer, I drove to Alaska. Awesome social media, man. We get to follow you yeah. all over the United States, and you're still at home. Yeah, it's awesome. I just busy drove. Izzy. I, <laughs> busy Izzy. <laughs> busy underscore Izzy. Yeah, I drove to Alaska <laughs> recently. And then after that, I was on a trip to Ohio, and I was on a trip into Los Angeles. Like I was literally gone for like two-thirds of flower, of like the entire flowering cycle. And I just pulled down and it was fantastic. It was like one of the best runs I've ever done. And that's awesome. I mean, I literally found blue mats long, long before I worked here because my girlfriend was like, I am not going to stick around if you keep running around watering all these plants and blowing me off all the time. And I was like, I need to figure something out so that I don't have to constantly run around and water all my plants all the time. And it did it for me. And that's why I originally found them and reached out to them because I was like, it allowed me to grow a big garden yeah, I mean, yeah, stuff. that's funny. Yeah. As cliche as it is. <laughs> yeah. I've like literally had multiple people on the phone be like, man, you saved my marriage. Like, now I, can, <laughs> now I can take my wife on a vacation, on vacation <laughs> yeah. watering everything. So, so that, that aspect of like, uh, you know, vacation watering, automatic watering, it's real and it works and it like, it just adds a ton of time. And, and on a commercial scale, you know, the labor savings is uncalculable. Yeah. And just the target yeah. of moisture content. I mean, we, I have never, and I've been around a lot of sensory systems. I have never found a system that can do the, the level of exact moisture content pot to pot in the way that we're doing it, to be honest. I mean, it's just very difficult to do. Because per sensor, the cost is extremely low compared to another for anything that's like anywhere close to that accurate. Well, the infrastructure that has to go in just to support that. 
Yeah, and you know, exactly the whole control system as well. But like, if you're doing you know any kind of digital sensor, it's like you know hundred bucks usually. Yeah, 100. per pot. We're talking like eight dollars per pot or something like that. And so you're going, you know, container to container, and um, yeah, and they're reliable. There's a lot of cheap sensors out there, but to be honest, a lot of them are unreliable. I'm not gonna say any names or say any particular company because I'm sure there are some out there that probably are reliable but i it's it's not I've, we've not been able to find cheap consistent electronic sensors mm -hmm. i think the beauty of a blue mat is that you can actually trust it like i know a lot of people are like yeah i have these sensors in there and they tell me things and i can't like really trust it i still kind of use my own intuition and i don't i mean i have the intuition because i've grown for a long time and hand watered a lot but i trust the blue mats fully and that's a difficult thing to do you know with a lot of sensors yeah yeah. Well, I think we hit some awesome points here, guys. Um, at the end of the podcast, I always take a second and say, and ask, is, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you guys uh, had floating around in the back of your mind that's very important? So I just want to say. I think covered all the stuff that I was talking about. Yeah. I mean, you know, just that it's, you know, it's, it's a job. Like this is a job, right? Like I'm sitting here, we're working, you're, you're working right now, Tyler, everybody's working. We're doing our, we're doing our, our jobs in life and like they're stressful and they're tough. Um, but there is, uh, you know, I do feel grateful like to be in this position and do the work we do because I think even though that's, it's, it's, there's a lot of grind to it. Um, the stuff we get to do is really exciting and fun. Um, on many, many levels and we're, and getting to push the envelope in the way that we do look for new things, you know, look for technologies that, um, you know, could be applied to other aspects of, uh, agriculture, not just cannabis. Cause we, we didn't get into that at all, but we, we also do that too. We work on, um, you know, fairly large scale regenerative farming projects and large scale kind of permaculture installations, um, <clears throat> more locally here in Colorado, but we, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of acres of under under cultivation that have irrigation systems that we've designed and implemented um, that are really doing some interesting things and creating tremendous water savings. So, um, you know, just just wanting to kind of acknowledge to the, anybody that's out there um, in this industry that's like that's working on the side of. Um, sustainability conservation like you know like i appreciate you you know i appreciate you guys and you know i also know everybody's out there trying to like make ends meet and um and have a healthy livelihood and i appreciate that too so uh just you know kind of acknowledging that a lot of us are a lot of us are in the same place and um you know i'm like happy to be here and happy to be here with you tyler uh kind of on this on this journey that we've been on for several years together in a way and um yeah you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a wild world and here we are yeah always something to be grateful for yeah. one thing to add on if you have any questions about anything please call us we're actually around like we we sit in the office and we design systems yeah. all day and that's what we we're do we're sitting in my office right so now i think a lot of people will <laughs> yeah. call us and be like yeah. man i'm i wish i would have called you a year ago and i'm like yeah, we could have you know we can we can basically yeah i mean like literally way. we're in my office cooper's in the next office over fielding phone calls while we're while we're doing this podcast yeah. right now so. so we're we're here to i think one of the best things about us is we offer really good technical support and we're all growers like we all 
we all grow too. So we all know the ins and outs and the trials and tribulations of growing. So if you guys have any questions or anything that ever concerns, we always just push like, please reach out. Yeah. To give us. Us a call. yeah. Last final thing is uh, real quickly for each of you guys, can you suggest um, a grower and a company that we should inter- have on the, the podcast this season? A grower, a farm, a grower. Um... Yeah, uh, you should have Matt Laplante come on. Oh yeah, yeah, Matt. <laughs> that dude is really extremely knowledgeable and yeah. intelligent. I feel like yeah. sometimes I'm like, I feel like I know a lot of things, and being yeah. around him, I'm like, no, I don't. He yeah. knows so much. Uh, yeah. What is he? Rise on Instagram, Rizo VT. He's up in Vermont now. Rizo VT. And what was the name of that farm that he had? Um. Uh, it's a farm in Vermont. Vermont. Yeah. Anyways, he did he did a big cannabis farm in Vermont this year. That's like where his wife's from originally, so they've been there for a bunch of years. Uh, he, he was in Oregon before there, and he was Oracron on Instagram. I don't know you find him out, but he's a like kind of soil consultant. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's like a good point. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I know a lot, and you listen to him and or talk to him, and you're yeah. like, oh, it's good to it's good to <laughs> surround yourself with people who are. That's been my whole game plan in yeah. life is just like surround myself with people that are smarter than me. Better Ross. But you know, the whole thing is it's like, well, if you've been doing something for seven years and someone else has been doing something for 10 years and you keep doing it, it doesn't matter because later you've been doing it for 17 and they've been doing it for 20. You guys so just always... the whole reason why I hang out with you. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. Matt LaPlante. I'll, I'll give him a call. Yeah. Anybody else? Um honestly the the easy as the map barns down in Australia, I think is really cool yeah, because it's, sure. it's such an interesting thing down there. They've got like importation stuff, like cannabis coming down from Canada. They're dealing with corporatization in a way that we're not because it's still state to state. And it's just a really interesting environment. He's basically single-handedly bringing living soil yeah, to really Australia. Yeah. And I think like particularly in the living soil world, it's really interesting. He's really communicative too. too. Like I'm on WhatsApp with him like, fairly often and stuff so um yeah he's good i mean there's there's lots and lots of great you know people that i know it's hard to pick one i know um but uh have to have you guys write me a list ahead of time yeah yeah we could definitely do that yeah thank you so much guys i i really appreciate you lending your time taking time out of your day to come on here and share your guys's clearly just tremendous wealth of knowledge and you know we're just people in this industry uh wanting to see other people be successful with things that we're very passionate about so that's why we're so open to give you all the amount of knowledge that we have and coming out of our spewing out of our sometimes crazy mouths that we just want you to be successful. Your guys' success is our success to go off of. So uh, we, and we honestly really respect people who actually physically apply this information and take it to a whole nother level and make us challenge our thinking as far as improving things. So uh, thank you for everybody's time and listening to this. And thank you for investing in the Grassroots Living Soil podcast, season two, episode one. And it was badass. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks, man.